Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. All right, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to get there in just a little while. But I'm going to do some, um, give some introductory comments before we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, if you found that, look this way. Let me give you some background material. <clears throat> the Bible is a beautiful book of perfect order. Everything is, how many of you believe the Bible is the inspired and errant, infallible word of God? Let me see your hands. All right. It is. Now, Everything is in its proper order. For instance, in the New Testament, how many books do we have? Anybody know how many books in the New Testament? 27. Everybody say it? 27. Now, the New Testament is divided. Is it okay if I come down here? Will the thing be all right? Um, the New Testament is divided, into, uh, it's divided into five sections. The first section is a historical section. And it starts with Matthew. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. That's five books in the historical section. And then the second section, you got the historical, and then you got the doctrinal section, and that's nine books. It starts with the book of Romans and ends with 2 Thessalonians. Then you have, so you have historical. How many's in the historical? Somebody tell me. Five. How many's in the doctrinal? Nine. Then you have the pastoral epistles. There's four of them, and they're related, Philippians, Ephesians, they're related to the church. Conduct in the church, character in the church, uh, consistency in the church of faith for Christ, and how to live. It's all about, about instructions to the church. It's pastoral. Then you have the next section. There's five, there's nine, there's four. Then there's eight more books, and the next section is called the Hebrew Christian epistles. And uh, it, the, the theme of the Hebrew Christian epistles is speaking to specifically the Christians. You understand that most of the believers of that day, prior to the book of Acts, were all, they were followers of Christ, were, were Jews. They didn't believe that the gospel should go to the to Gentiles. That's most of us here. So, so then after the book of Acts, the gospel went to the Gentiles, but the Hebrew Christians still struggled. They just struggled with these Gentile, they called us dogs, the Gentile dogs, those unclean, unfit people, what are they doing? And so the theme of the book of, he, of the Hebrews and the Hebrew Christian epistles is to say to them that we have a better covenant. You know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. Well, the old covenant, covenant, the law, was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was instruction and foundation to lead us to Jesus Christ. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were a forerunner shedding blood, the Christ shedding his blood. But the New Testament is much better than the Old Testament, the writers would say, because we're under grace. We don't have to live under law. How many of you all are glad we don't have to live under law? I thank God because I had sausage this morning and I had ham the other day. And I'm so, aren't you glad we can eat ham? Amen. 
Well, I know it's not good for us, but it's okay anyway. So, but the, so then the Hebrew Christian epistles are all about, we live under a better covenant. We're under grace. And then the conclusion, the prophetic book, is the book of Revelation. So you have the histo history about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the early church uh, who, who began to worship Christ. And then you have, so you have historical, and then you have, you have the doctrinal books, and the doctrinal books are divided into three sections themselves, and it's all in perfect order. The first four books, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, the theme of those four books is Christ and the cross, the cross of Christ. Then there's the next three books, the theme of the next three books is Christ and and the church. And then the last two books, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, are about Christ and his coming. So understand this. First is the cross. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for our sins. Their cross, there's the Booth brothers. I don't know if any of you all know who the Booth brothers are. But the Booth brothers got a song. It's all about the cross. One of my favorite songs these days. It's all about, ladies and gentlemen, I got news for you. Are you listening? It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. Without the cross, there's no remission of sin. Without the cross, you can't be forgiven. Without the cross, you can't have meaning in life. Without the cross, you don't have hope in heaven. Without the cross, there's nothing. Christ and the cross. And then there's Christ and the church. So you live for Christ through the church. Now, in fact, in fact, look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians in the first of that chapter. Let me get my Bible down here, okay? So look at verse, uh, look at verse 2. Let's start reading verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember, remember before our God and Father, your work produced by, what's the next word? Faith. Faith in the cross. Your work, we serve God. The book of James says your works are nothing if you don't have faith. Faith is first. I trusted Christ as my Savior. And now through faith in the cross... Next, it says, uh, your faith and your labor prompted by love. So because we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are filled with love. God is love. Jesus is love. By this should all men know that you're my disciples if you have what for one another? Love. So you love and we serve the Lord out of love. We do what we do out of love. The guys back here, Andy and, and those guys, they serve because of love. We do what we do because we love Jesus. Why do we give of our time extra over and above? Because we love. So because of faith in the cross, we serve out of a heart of love. And then notice the last thing here, he says, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word hope means confident expectation. Now, I don't think Jesus is coming. I don't hope in the sense that I don't know Jesus is coming. This word hope means confident expectation. It's different from the word we use hope today. So I know Jesus is coming and I 
love him. I, I exceeded, accept him by faith. I serve him with love and I confidently look for Jesus Christ to come. Now, let me give you a clarion call this morning. Are you listening? Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. Say it with me. Jesus Christ is coming again. Again, say it. Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, there are three schools of thought concerning the coming of Christ. One is called the premillennial. Most Baptists are premillennial, not all. And that's where you believe, we believe Christ is coming, but when he comes, he won't come all the way back to the earth. He'll come in the sky and he'll call his children up to be with him and we'll go to heaven and there will be seven years of tribulation on this earth. You think things are bad now. You ain't seen nothing yet. Seven years of tribulation, and then Christ will come back all the way to the earth and establish his rule and reign, and we'll enter what we all talked about, the millennium. You've used the word millennium, don't really, a lot of people don't know what it means. It means the thousand years reign of Christ. So that's called the premillennial, where Jesus comes, not all the way back, but he calls us in the sky, all believers resurrects bodies out of oceans and graves, takes us to heaven. But then he comes back the second time, seven years later to this earth, and he establishes his reign on this earth. That's the, pre, the pre-trib, pre-millennial position. Then there's a second position called the post-millennial. The post-millennial doesn't believe Christ is coming back in the air and go back up and come back the second time. They just believe he's coming one time to establish his kingdom forever. That's called the post-millennial. And there's a third one that they just kind of don't know. They don't, they don't have any idea. So they're called, ah, millennialist. I don't know. Ah, ah, millennial. So there's the pre, post, and ah. Say that with me. Pre, post, and ah. To be truthful with you, it's important, but who really cares? Because Jesus is coming And we're going to be with him. That's what matters. Can all the people say amen? Amen. We're going to be with him. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior. So these two books, the the doctrinal section, first is about Christ and the cross, Christ and the church, and Christ and his coming. Now the church, of course, is the whole, you understand when we say the church, there's there's two aspects of the church. One is the body of Christ. Now, we're, uh, 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 we're all part of the body of Christ. Uh, I have Presbyterian friends that are saved on the way to heaven. We're not members of the same denomination, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been to India. I've got many Indian friends. Indian people love Jesus. They're saved on the way to heaven. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen. We're brothers and sisters. I've got, uh, I've got uh, family members that are Pentecostal charismatic. I've got a Assemblies of God. Uh, one of my cousins is Assembly of God superintendent. Another cousin is a Methodist preacher. My family's all messed up. <laughs> they don't know. But the point is, are you listening? My cousin, Assembly of God, my cousin, the Methodist preacher, and this cousin, the Baptist, we're all brothers and sisters spiritually in Christ. We're part of the family of God. And Jesus said, by this, and through the scriptures, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have what for one another? Say it with me real loud. What's that word? Love. Love. I grew up real, in real love. Legalistic 
church. My dad was a pastor. He meant well, and, and I, I loved my dad, but we didn't get along too much because he, 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 he was just legalistic. And he was judging everybody. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I grew up, no, 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 you can't, 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 can't. I used to tell people, if you were a member of my father's church for five years, it made you eligible to skip the judgment seat of Christ because you'd already been through it. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you something. I'm not the judge of anybody. And I and my, my assignment in the kingdom is to love you whether I understand what you do or not, whether I agree with it or not. And I'm not the one supposed to correct you. Jesus is. Amen. Are you all still with me? Yes. So Jesus is coming. Now, in 1 Thessalonians, if you'll turn over with me now, that if you got that chapter, 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to show you every one of these chapters of 1 Thessalonians, every chapter ends with a reference to the coming of Christ because that's the theme of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And every chapter ends with a reference to the coming of Christ in relation to a, person, per, per, uh, to a pertinent subject, a particular subject. Let me show you. Look, if you will, at verse, uh, tw uh, let's see, be verse... Uh, Eight, start with 38. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of re reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. So he said, what you guys did, you turned from your idols and you turned to God in the light of his coming. What's the word that we use? It starts with an R, which means a change of mind. You turn direction, you turn from sin, you turn to Jesus. Did anybody know what that word is? Repent. What? Repent. Yes, repentance. Everybody say it. Repentance. In order to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, repentance is required. You have to make a choice. If you choose Jesus, that means you're turning your back on sin and the devil. You can't hold on to this and have this too. You have to say, I was a young man. I, wasn't, uh, I was a preacher's son, and I got these awards in high school, the Danforth Christian Award. I went to a big high school, and I ran track, went to state two years in track. And, and uh, at the state track meet my senior year, we gathered around running the 880-yard uh, race. And I gathered, the, there was a, uh, eight of us there. And I gathered around. I said, guys, let's pray. I had the courage to ask them to pray. We prayed. When we got through, the guy from Paul's Valley, Oklahoma said, Reeser, when this is over, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. When the race is over, I ran for the bus and hid from him because I really didn't have anything to tell him. I was a preacher's son, went to a Christian college, played basketball, president of the freshman class. Reeser's a Christian. But I asked a girl out for a date one time. She was really pretty. And I asked her for a date. We went to her dormitory after the date, and I started to thank her and leave, and she said, let's pray. And I said, let's what? She said, let's pray. I never prayed with a girl before. Pray with a girl? I said, you pray. So she prayed, 
And I want to tell you all, her name was Ruth Ann Nobber. And last year she found me on Facebook and I thanked her and told her I had never told her what I'm telling you. I said, Ruth Ann, when I, you got through praying, I walked back to my dorm and I admitted for the first time in my life, I've been living a lie. I've never really been saved because I don't have what that girl has. I laid down in my bed in the dorm. My roommate, John Collier's pastored in Waco, Texas for 45 years. He's still pastoring at 76. I said, John, leave me alone a while, can you? Yeah. Left the light out and I laid there. I said, God, I'm done living a lie. And I started living like the devil. I went back to Oklahoma City, went to the Oklahoma State University, bought a 57 Chevrolet. Y'all remember those cool 57 Chevys? I waxed the dash and got the Firestone tires and painted one. I'd go on a date, and if a girl put her hands on the dash, I kicked her out and took her home. Said, don't touch my dash. <laughs> but I was miserable. And one night, I heard that Dr. James Stewart from Moody Bible Institute was preaching for my father in Oklahoma City. And I drove from Stillwater back because I had respect for the man. I was miserable. Young people, I found out all the devil's wells were empty. I found that going to the dark side of sin was not all it was cracked up to be. Y'all, some of you that are really older remember this. Remember when Ray Charles uh, 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 came out with modern sounds in country and western music and one of his songs was Born to Lose, I've Lived My Life in Vain. And I remember one night sitting in our apartment off campus, people laying around drunk, girls half nude, and the music playing Ray Charles. And I was miserable and I said, that's me, I'm born to lose. I got in my car, drove home city, waited till all the people were gone. Dr. Stewart was there. I went in the church, said, Dr. Stewart, I want to talk to you. My dad said, come on, you can come to the office, son. I said, no, not you, dad. I want to talk to Dr. Stewart. We went in the side Sunday school room and there, listen carefully, for the first time in my life, I turned from sin I repented. I found out that life was not the life I wanted. I found out the devil's wells were empty. I found out that living for the devil and not for God makes your heart empty and there's no meaning in life. And that night I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was born again. And I want to tell you, I went home that night and I opened this Bible and it, and it, it, it sang to me. I'd never read it before. I, I, I held my Bible on my chest all night long. I woke up the next morning. The birds were singing. And, and, and I'd never heard the birds sing so beautifully. The sky was blue. Ladies and gentlemen, are you listening? I was alive. I was alive for the first time in my life. Alive in Christ. I had Jesus as my Savior. Now I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ is coming one day. And you better be ready when he comes. You better know that you've been saved. I don't care how good you think you are. There are some of you may have been coming. You young people you may have been coming to church. But you've never really repented of your sin. And trusted Christ as your Savior. You must be born again. One of my preacher close relatives used to say are you sure are you positive that you've been born again are you sure are you positive 
that you've been born again? Do you know that you know that you know that you know you've been born again? When Jesus comes, it's going to be too late. I want to know that I'm born again. Don't you? Can you say amen? Don't you? If anybody's here, Dane, you don't know. You may come to this church. Your parents may be a Christian. You may be one of the parents. And you've never really been born again. I want to tell you, your pride is not worth going to hell over. It's not worth it. Religion's not going to get you to heaven. We talked about this yesterday. Religion's not going to do it. Only Jesus. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. And all the people said, when Jesus comes, make sure you're saved. Look at the second chapter. Look at the second chapter. Hold on. Let me get my watch down here. It's okay if I preach from down here. I feel better being in amongst y'all. Jerry Clow used to say, in amongst you. What does that say? 25 after? Okay. You don't have to look at your watch. I'll, I'll look at it, okay? Chapter 2. Look at, the, look at the verse uh, 19. He says, For what is our hope or joy, our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you indeed? You are our glory and joy. He said, when Jesus comes, you're the glory and joy. You that I've won to Christ. You that I've witnessed to Jesus. When Jesus comes, you're going to be my crown. You're going to be the joy of my I've shared the gospel with you, in other words, and you've been saved. Now, let me ask a question. This is second, the second coming of Christ and soul winning. Sharing, this church is called Story Point. Telling the story of Jesus. Now, let me ask a question. Do you have family members that are lost and you haven't shared the story of Jesus with them? Do you have people you work with? You haven't shared the story of Jesus? Do you have friends that are lost? You haven't shared the story of Jesus? Oh, my, oh, my friends, you can't let that happen. But just think, if you share the gospel with them and they're saved, when Jesus comes, we'll go up together. Make sure your family is saved. I remember a girl, I hadn't thought of this in years till this morning. Carol came to me one night and she said, Pastor, my young brother is in his early 20s and he is just living like the devil. And she said, he is, he's just breaking my parents' heart and he's drinking and he's on drugs and he's coming in all hours of the night. And she said, I just am broken for him. Pray for him. So I prayed. Well, the next morning, barely dawn, I mean, it's early, knock on my door and I looked out. And there's Carol and a young guy. So I said, yeah, come in, Carol. She said, preacher, you know the, my brother I told you about last night? She said, yeah. I said, yeah. She said, this is him. She said, last night I went home after you preached. And she said, I got so burdened. I couldn't sleep. And I knew my brother would still be out. So I drove, to, drove uh, an hour to her home where her parents lived. And she said, I drove in. I waited till my brother came home and we sat at the kitchen table. She said, we've been talking all night long. And I've just been, she said, I don't know much, Pastor. I'm not, I don't know all the things you're supposed to know. She said, I just told him what Jesus did for me. 
Now, let me tell you, folks, you don't have to memorize a plan of salvation and memorize all this stuff. The best thing you can do is just tell people what happened to you. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. They can turn away a, a, you know, a planned story, but they won't turn away you telling about your story. Best thing you just tell your story. She said, we've been up all night. She said, Pastor, he's ready to be saved. She said, I don't know what to do with him. Here he is. Save him. <laughs> I said, well, Carol, I can't save him, but I can show him how to be saved. She said, yeah, that's what I meant. Just get him saved. Get him saved. And she said, you're ready, aren't you, Bubba? And he said, Preacher, I'm ready. I'm miserable. Well, I was like picking ripe fruit. You know why? Because somebody that loved him cared enough about him to go sit up all night with him and cry and say, I love you and I don't want you to go to hell. People can turn away the Bible. They can turn away a lot of stuff, but they can't turn away your love. Am I communicating? Are y'all with? Can I hear an amen? Are y'all with me? When Jesus Christ comes, make sure that we're taking our family and friends and fellow workers with us. All right, go to the next chapter. The second coming and stability. Look at chapter 3, verse, uh, let me see here. Verse 2, he said, We sent Timothy, who is our brother, and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. He's talking about stability and strengthening them and staying faithful and staying true to Jesus Christ. Now look down at verse 8. He says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. He's talking about faithfulness, steadfastness. And then go verse 12. May the Lord make you in love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our Lord, of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. You know what he says? When Jesus comes, make sure you've been steadfast and faithful and stayed with it. Now, I'm the first one to tell you. I've lived a long time. I don't know if I, am I the oldest one in this group at 76? Anybody older than me here? That's what I thought. A couple of y'all look old. No, don't, no. no, no, no sorry. I'm 76. I want to tell you something. Life is hard. Life is hard. Jesus never said it's going to be easy. Never promised us a rose garden. Didn't say it's going to be easy. I've had some of my best friends turn their backs on me. There was a time when I left the group of Baptists that I'd been a member of. They were so legalistic, and I just said, I can't do that anymore. And I left. I had guys calling me saying, oh, Larry, you, you're one of the few thinkers that we got, you're, you know, in this movement, and, and we can't afford to lose you. You can't do that. I said, look, I'm not mad at anybody. I just believe the body of Christ is bigger than one small group of Baptists. That Jesus got his people everywhere. How many of y'all believe that? Amen? Yeah. Got his people everywhere. 
And I said, I'm just, I'm just broadening out to open up to the body of Christ. I, our ministry that I started 20, almost 25 years ago, we minister in 47 countries. Over 100 different denominations. The most spirit-filled, godly man I met in Africa was the Anglican Bishop of Nigeria. An Anglican. Went to his office and we talked. He said, oh, my dear Dr. Larry, our, our rectors have come to your conferences and they're so excited and said, you must meet this man. And he, so he called the missionaries that were hosting me and said, could you bring him? And they asked me and I said, sure. Went to his office. We got through talking. He was, talked, he was a big man. Big. Hand, I felt like my hand was a midget when he put his hand on He just engulfed me. Great big guy. And I said, before we left, I said, doctor, would you pray for me? Pray for the anointing of God and protection that I'll stay faithful and true to Jesus. Oh, he talked real slow. He said, oh, my dear Dr. Reeser, what an honor. And he stood up, walked around that desk, and came over and knelt beside me. And he took my hands. As long as I live, I'll never forget it. I was in the presence of God. I want to tell you, this man took God hold of God. And when he prayed, I felt chill, but I wanted to take my shoes off. It was holy ground. And in my prior life as a narrow Baptist, I would have said, you can't be an Anglican and be saved. The man loved God deeply. Truly born again. We must stay faithful and love everybody. By this shall all men know that my disciples, if you have what for one another. Everybody say it. Love. Everybody say it together. Love. One more time. Love. Stay faithful. Stay true. I, I was, uh, I've traveled, been blessed to travel over the world. And one of the places where I've been about four times in the last 10 years was Indonesia. Indonesia, if you're not aware, is the largest Muslim country in the world. Do you all remember a number of years ago when the big tsunami wave hit, hit the one end of the island of Sumatra in Aceh, A-C-E-H, and just wiped it out? How many of you all remember that? You're old enough to remember that. Yeah. It just, that's, that's where I was invited to go preach. In a city called, get this, Pekinburu. That's the name of it. Pekinburu. Like a bird pecking and then a burrow donkey, pecking burrow. So Larry came to me, the missionary, and he said, this is a big church. This guy's very influential. And he said, tell Dr. Larry, if, I, if he'll stay over, I'll pay whatever his plane fare change is, any expenses. Uh, the money is not the, but I want him to come to pecking burrow. And Larry said, I'll, I'll have to go with you because it's dangerous. So we went to pecking burrow. He took, we, that Sunday morning came, went to the church, huge church, seated 3,000 people. <clears throat> I walked in, the place was full, not an empty seat in the place. I'm, when I say jam-packed, I'm talking sardine jam-packed. They started saying, oh, my soul. I never heard such worship in all my life. I'm telling you, I, I came close to getting baptimethicostal. I was so excited. <laughs> I'm telling you, and they sang, and they smiled, and they grinned. And, and when the service was over, now watch this, over on this wall, 
just about not quite that high. There were all doors and all the doors open and all the people turned like soldiers and they all went out. When they got almost out, the doors on this wall over here opened up and 3,000 more came in. They did that five times. I preached to 15,000 people, service after service after service after service after service. They liked to kill me. 15,000 people. And when they sang, they smiled. And oh my goodness, the worship was incredible. I couldn't believe it. I was lifted in the heavenlies. And I told them, I said, if the lights go out, just everybody smile. We'll have enough light to keep going. They're just vibrant Christians. I tell you that for this reason. In between the second and third service, could have been third and fourth, doesn't matter. They took me in the back room. They said, Dr. Larry, we understand from your office that you're a diabetic. We have some cheese and orange juice so we can keep your, we know we're five times as hard. So we got this for you. And I said, okay. So they said, here's a couch. Lay down. I said, I lay down. And in a minute, one of the guy came, some guy came running in and just running. Oh, Dr. Larry, you can't believe what's happened. Terrible what's happened. I said, what happened? I found out he was one of the assistant pastors. He said, we have 250 branch churches all over the island. And we have young preachers that pastor him. And one of them is a young man. He's a businessman, owns his own business. And he went on his motorcycle to church early. And his wife and two small children were coming later in the car. She pulled up at a stop sign out in the country. Some Muslims jumped out of the bushes and machine gunned her to death, killed her. She's laying over the, slumped over the wheel, two babies in the back seat in car seats just bawling their eyes out. Somebody, some lady came up, saw what happened, called the police. They came, got her purse, looked in it and all that stuff, called. And I said, how long ago did this happen? He said, oh, just an hour or two. Now, you've got to watch my face, watch my expression. I said, what are you going to do now? He said, we go on. We go on. He said, Dr. Larry, you don't understand. He said, we have people killed by Muslims all the time. He said, you'll preach to 15,000 adults, not singles, not teenagers, not children. They're in all these other buildings. This is just 15,000 adults. And he said, every one of them, when they accept Christ, they know that they're saying, I accept Jesus, and I know that I'm now a candidate for martyrdom. I know that I may be the next one killed for Jesus. And I was stunned. I didn't know what to say. I wanted to take my shoes off. I was so humbled. And the next, time, next service, they started singing. And I got up and said, I want to go out. And they said, no, rest until time to preach. I said, no, I want to go in amongst them. I want to feel the, the atmosphere. I want to feel their joy. I want to hear them sing. And I stood up there and watched them. And I looked at them differently than I did the last service. Because now I looked at them and I knew that they were singing with smiles on their faces, knowing that tomorrow they could die for Jesus. And I've never met happier people in all of my life. Steadfast in the face of adversity. Life is going to hit you between the eyes. I've had my best friends turn their backs on me. I've been betrayed. 
I've had disappointments like you couldn't believe. Have I ever wanted to quit? Once or twice. Every Monday morning. <laughs> no. But yeah, you ha it comes to you. But my friends, when Jesus saved me, he saved me. He changed me. I'm 76. And my prayer is, Lord, keep me faithful to the end. Keep me stable to the end. Keep me serving Jesus to the end. Is that your prayer? Is that the desire of your heart? Faith in the cross. Do you know Jesus? Service through the church while we wait for his coming. There are two more chapters, but I don't feel led to preach them. It's enough. If you've never been saved today, when we get through, I'll be here. Kevin will be here. Somebody will be here to show you how to know that you're saved. But my friends, oh, my friends, my dear friends, until Jesus comes, let's take our loved ones and family and friends with us. How many of you agree we ought to do that? Say amen. amen. Let's do it. And stay faithful. And remember, chapter 4 is, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep in Jesus, that God will bring with him. When Jesus comes, it's going to be a grand reunion. I don't, I, I, I don't, I have never worn diamonds in my life. I wear this diamond ring. You know why? It's my father-in-law's. My father-in-law, my father and I didn't get along. He was legalistic and I didn't agree with that. It, it caused me to turn away from Christianity for a period of my life because of that legalism. But then I got saved, really got saved. And I met my wife and we married and her father became my father. I've traveled for many, many years, except for December and July. I average 20 to 25 days a month on the road, two to five cities a week, plus foreign countries. And when I came home, my wife would fly to where I was. We'd go together, took my son with me, had a wonderful, busy, happy life for Jesus. My father-in-law, when I got off the plane in Atlanta, within an hour, if I hadn't called him, he'd call me. You know what he'd say? He'd say, how you doing, Sheriff? Now, where that came from, I have no idea. <laughs> How you doing, Sheriff? Where you been and what did God do? And when I'd leave his house, I'd go see him. Uh, he'd put his hand on my shoulder and said, you're the most prayed for man in this house. God's using you and you're valuable to the kingdom and we got to protect you with prayer and let me pray for you. He prayed every time and I cried every time. I was on my way to the Holy Lands. I was in the Miami in a hotel, checked out, got in the car, heading the Miami airport, going to the Holy Lands. My wife called me and said, Dad fell in the night, hit his head and banged it through the wall and he's in serious condition in the hospital. He's probably not going to make it. You better come home. So I came home. I went to the hospital. I walked in the room. I grabbed his hand. Let me grab it. I grabbed his hand. I called him dad. I said, dad, I love you. You know that. He said, yes, I love you. I said, looks like Jesus is going to take you. Yeah. I said, I'll see you on the other side. 
He looked at me. He said, I'll see you on the other side. Nobody but Jesus can do that for you. Your loved ones that have gone, your friends, nobody else can give you an eternal home in heaven. When Jesus comes, we'll be reunited. There's going to be a grand reunion, my friends, and only Jesus can promise you that. Can you say amen? Amen. Make sure you save, win your friends and family. Stay faithful, my friends, because Jesus is coming. Let's be ready. God bless you good people. Let's pray. It's quarter till. I was supposed to quit a quarter till. That's enough. You've heard the truth. Hopefully God has spoken to your heart. If you're not saved, my friend, Make sure you're saved today. If you're a young person, maybe everybody thinks you are, but in your heart you know you're not. Don't, don't let your pride keep you from going to heaven. Come to Jesus today. Let us help you. If you're not living for Christ, oh, my friends, turn around. Walk with Jesus. It's a difficult, any life is a difficult life, but oh, life with Jesus is so much better. Live for Jesus. He's coming again. Please be ready. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these wonderful people, for this time together. We love your word. We love you, and we want to be faithful to you until you take us home. So speak to hearts and help people today to do business with you as they need to. We love you, worship you, and we praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.